Amen. Amen. Hello. It's good to see everybody. My name is Paul. Uh, if I haven't met you, I would love to do so. So please feel free to come up after the service and introduce yourself. I love meeting new people. I want to start off this morning with an encouragement. Uh, we still need a handful of people to help in our children's ministry. We're not able to open all of our rooms, and so some families uh, have to be turned away, which is really sad. Uh, the biggest need is in the second service. Um, and the good news for you is if you help in children's ministry, there's plenty of room for you in the first service. Uh, so lots of open seats. So it's a great opportunity to come to the first service, serve in the second, and uh, just submit that to your consideration. I also have a hammer with me this morning which is not related to my request to serve in children's ministry in any way. So don't be confused by that. The reason I have a hammer is because when I think of a, an object that was created for a specific purpose, I think of a hammer. This is a tool that is very well designed to do one thing. What, what does a hammer do well? Nails, right. Not break glass, although it could, but... I knew Laura would give me something, something, <laughs> something snarky. So I have a nail here. So this hammer was made to nail this in, right? All it takes, you think I can do it in one? It just is made to nail, to strike this. It's the perfect weight, but I'm not going to do it. But don't you want me to? Listen closely. Can you, can you hear the hammer? It's calling out to be used. This tool wants to fulfill the purpose for which it was created. It's crying out, I'm perfectly designed to hit this nail. Why don't you, why don't you do it? But I'm not going to. I'm just going to leave that there. Torture you. All sermon. Keep you awake maybe, you know. Do you ever have the feeling that you were created for a purpose? That there's something that you could do, some calling, some gifts, some, some way that you could contribute to the world, and, and, and you want to be able to fulfill that purpose, like a, like a hammer designed to hit a nail. You know that there's something you could do. But for a lot of us, we feel frustrated. We feel like there's obstacles in our way to fulfilling the purpose that we might know is true for us. Instead of fulfillment, we find frustration. Instead of being productive, we end up procrastinating. Instead of finding ourselves in that flow where everything just clicks into place, we feel stuck in a rut. The things we do spend time on don't feel meaningful, and the meaningful things we want to do, we never get around to doing. There's all these challenges we face to living out God's purpose for us. Well, this morning we're kicking off a series in the book of Exodus. And we've called this series Journey to Freedom because this book shows this majestic story of God's people taken from a place of frustration and depression and pain, freed to live out the purpose that God means for them. It happens in three cycles. First, we see God's people freed from Egypt out of slavery. And then God appears to them and he gives them his law, a, a covenant for them. 
And finally, he gives these instructions for how they ought to build the tabernacle so that they can worship him in freedom. Freedom, covenant, and worship. We're going to be in this book most of the academic year. We'll take off a break during Advent leading up to Christmas and during Lent leading up to Easter. But in those three sections, we're going to look at those three movements of the book of Exodus. This morning, we're in chapter 1. And what we're going to notice in chapter 1 is that three times there seems to be this challenge put in front of God's people for living out the purpose that they were created to do. Three times there's an obstacle that wants to hold them back from being who they're meant to be. It's as if God's people are this hammer and there's something actively trying to stop them from being used the way they were meant to be used. But three times, we're going to see God overcome that challenge. And we will see God's purposes prevail. Now, in order to really understand this, we need to explore some of the connections that are going on in this text. This is one of the most uh, enriching things about studying the Bible, is this book that was written by over 40 authors, over the course of several thousands of years, has so many threads and connections and echoes and foreshadowings and reverberations. The one that struck me in this chapter is when you start reading Exodus 1, you see a word that shows up four times. And this ends up being a really significant theological word. Uh, For some of you, you're going to be disappointed because it's also a math word. It's the word multiply. Now, we're going to say that together every time we see it in our text. Can we we try that? Multiply. Multiply. All right. So we're going to be reciting that together. But the reason that that's an important word is because it draws a thread all the way back to the first chapter of Genesis. When God created his people, when he created humanity, he gave them a command. Listen to what he said to them. This is Genesis 1, verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The first instruction that God gave the newly created humanity was to multiply. In some sense, we were created to multiply. Now, this is probably a whole nother sermon, but this doesn't just have to do with reproducing with having children. There's this theological vision of what it looks like to recreate life. Jesus talks about the abundant life. There's a, there's a picture of, a, of just life overflowing. During the summer, we spent time in the fruit of the spirit passage, and we saw how God grows something within us that then gets planted and reproduces, and that's the same image that life just recreates and fills and overflows. If you've ever been to a rainforest and just listened, you hear insects and birds and little things running around in the leaves. If you've ever been scuba diving, you see big fish and small fish in the, in the coral reef. If you've ever been out on our playground after second service, you've seen little kids just running around the, the energy This is what we were created to do. Life was meant to multiply. And what we're going to find in Exodus chapter 1 is somebody trying to stop the multiplication of God's people. Three times, 
three different attacks, three different times, without fail, God's purpose prevails. My heart for us, for you this morning, is that you would walk out of here more confident that God's purpose in your life will prevail. That no matter what obstacles you might be facing, they can't stop God. We're going to start by looking at the first five verses of Exodus chapter 1. Exodus actually begins with the word and in Hebrew. That's because it connects back to what's happened before. It's just one long story. But listen to the first five verses. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. So Exodus begins by connecting us back to the story of Genesis. The first phrase is actually an exact replica of Genesis 46.8 as a way of connecting these stories together. And we hear about 12 sons and 70 people. Now, if you've ever heard anybody say anything about numbers in the Bible, you know that these are very special numbers. These numbers mean that everything is great. They're the numbers of perfection, of perfectness. Twelve sons, 70 people. These were the good old days. God's people were in Egypt. Joseph was there taking care of them. Everything was perfect. And then this happened, verse 6. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. The good old days ended, because they always do. Now, it's not just that a generation was passing. This put the Hebrews that were in Egypt in a particularly difficult spot. See, they were becoming an ethnic minority, living in a foreign land. Joseph had been their protector. He had been their advocate. He provided them with political protection. He made sure that things would go okay. But now, Joseph was dead. The whole generation had passed. And so these Israelites were there in Egypt without a reason to be there. Tell me if you've ever had this experience where you, you get up from what you're doing and you walk into the kitchen and you walk into another room and, and you get there and you go, wait, why did I? What was I going to do? Have you had that? I see a few nods. Yeah. That's kind of how the Hebrews felt. They, they were in Egypt and they looked around and they said, wait, why are we here? And even more dangerous, the Egyptians that they lived among looked at them and said, wait, why are you here? See, without Joseph, the people of God were vulnerable. They had no one to protect them, no one to look out for their interests. And I wonder if some of us can resonate with that experience, with feeling like we are vulnerable. Maybe you've lost someone in your life, a parent or child or a close friend. Maybe you used to be in a situation where things felt safe, but now there's a lot of turmoil and chaos. Maybe you're facing a transition 
and you don't know how things are going to be. Maybe you're just scared of what the future might hold. Are you vulnerable? Do you feel like these Hebrews must have felt in Egypt? Like, why am I here again? What's going on? What could happen? If you feel that way, the the good news is that vulnerability is part of the human condition. This is part of how God made us. We are weak creatures. Our bodies are frail. They can do incredible things, but then eventually they break down. Our emotions are powerful and can carry us along, but they also mislead us and they can be wildly unpredictable. Our relationships are fulfilling and we long for intimacy, but sometimes we just don't get it and we get stuck feeling like we're all alone. We are vulnerable creatures. And sometimes God uses our vulnerability. Look at what happens for the Israelites. This is verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied. Let's try that again. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. There's our word. Even though they were vulnerable, even though they were lacking a protector, even though there was no one to look out for them that they knew of, they still fulfilled the purpose that God had for them. They multiplied, and life overflowed. God's purpose prevailed. But things got worse after that. Here's what happens in verses 8 to 10. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So we have a new king in Egypt, and this king looks around and he sees a powerful, numerous group of people that don't belong. And he starts to get worried. What might happen if they become upset? What could they do to us? He starts to develop this fear of the foreigner living in their midst because he's not sure what might happen. And his basic fear is that they would multiply. And the fact that the author uses that word helps us to realize that what's going on here is not just a worry. It's not just xenophobia or fear of foreigners. What's happening here is theological. That Pharaoh isn't just pitting himself against an ethnic group. He's not just pitting himself against God's people. Pharaoh is pitting himself against God himself. He is trying to stop God's creation from doing what God told it to do. And we're going to find out that that's a very dangerous place to put yourself. (laughs) That picking a fight with the God of the universe usually doesn't work out all that well. But this is his plan. He doesn't know that yet. So he comes up with a plan. Verse 11. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. So here's Pharaoh's plan. If I make their life miserable, if I make them slaves, 
then they won't multiply as quickly. He enslaves them. He forces them to do hard labor, labor that they didn't choose, labor that builds wealthy storehouses for his wealth, labor that they don't even benefit from. And his hope is that that would discourage them enough not to multiply. Remember, his goal is not an economic one. His goal is to hold this people down. And that's what's um, so evil about slavery. The goal is to take away the humanity of an individual. The goal is to stand in between what God created people to do and their ability to realize that. Last week, we heard from Reverend Coloma Smith from the University AME Zion Church next door. And he shared a story about a, a woman that he ministered to from a uh, group in Alabama. Her parents and grandparents were slaves. And at least for me, it was a powerful experience to hear a story of someone who experienced this situation and had to, to preserve their faith in the midst of it. How do I trust God when that's my circumstance? Now, fortunately for us, we are not enslaved literally like these people were and like has happened previously in our country. But there are things in our lives that threaten our humanity, that stand in the way of us being fully human, things that we feel controlled by, things that we are enslaved by, behaviors and thought patterns and relationships and things that we don't feel like we can control. Many of us have heavy burdens. We feel like we're working towards something that we don't really want to be doing. Many of us have voices in our heads of parents or children or coaches that say things we just don't want to pay attention to, but we can't get them out of our minds. Does this resonate with you at all? Do you feel controlled by anything? Are you enslaved? What are you enslaved to? What drives you? What motivates you? What are those things that you feel like you can't escape? Something that just has you doing something that you know you don't want to do, but you can't seem to control it. This is what sin does. Sin controls us. Sin prevents us from living like humans, from living the way God intended us to be. It keeps us down. It addicts us and manages us. In Egypt, it was Pharaoh who did this to God's people. But here's what happened. Listen to verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. The more Pharaoh tried to stop them from multiplying, the more they multiplied. The more Pharaoh pitted himself against the purposes of God, the more they were able to fulfill them. This is what God does. Nothing can stand in the way of God's purposes in our lives. Now, I've been spending a lot of time lately thinking about how we as 
followers of Jesus might live out our faith in the everyday things we do, in our workplaces, in our homes as we raise children, as retirees? What does it look like to, to bring our faith into the, the work that we do, whatever that work might be? And so we've kicked off this week a new group within our Leadership Institute. Twelve people are walking along during this year trying to, trying to learn and think and pray and grow together in that. So when I was studying the book of Exodus, it really uh, caught my attention when somebody pointed out that the book of Exodus is a story of work transformed. See, here in the first part of the book, we see them doing work they didn't choose. They have no autonomy. They're not being paid. They don't benefit from it. And it's crushing them. But by the end of the book, we have a different picture. We see God's people building the tabernacle. They have so much wealth that they can't even give enough of it away. They're building a place where they can worship God. And so it's, it's chosen work. It's free work. It's meaningful. It grounds them in their relationship with God, and they do it together as a community. So look at this comparison. What we see in the first part of Exodus is that they were made to work ruthlessly as slaves. The worst possible kind of work you could do. And then over the course of the book, as God works, they get to a place where Moses finishes the work, the cloud covers the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. Fulfilling, meaningful, personal work. This is what God does. He transforms every aspect of our lives, not just our hearts, not just our spiritual lives, but the effort we put into the things we do. And so we'll see that over the course of Exodus, but this is also what we need to understand as followers of Jesus, that he redeems everything. Now, Exodus is a grand story of redemption. We've seen that the chapter begins with uh, God's people in perfection. Twelve sons, 70 people. And then Joseph died. They were vulnerable, but they multiplied. Pharaoh gets worried, and so he oppresses them with slavery, but they multiply. So what Pharaoh realizes is that he has to escalate his attempts to stop these Hebrew people. And this is what he does in verses 15 to 16. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. The Hebrews began in vulnerability and they became oppressed. Now Pharaoh has moved on to full-blown genocide. Listen to how genocide is defined. Acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, or religious group. It's a pretty good description of what Pharaoh is trying to do. But as the story gets darker, the light shines brighter as well. Because we meet two people, two women. In fact, these are the first named characters in the new generation of God's people, Shifra and Pua. These women also introduce us to God. We're going to see the first time God is mentioned. 
here in reference to them. Listen to what they do. Listen to what they decide to do in light of this command. But the midwives feared God. It's the first time God is referenced in in Exodus. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the, the, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Think about these two women. They were midwives, which meant probably they were childless. Probably they were older. And they had served this community. They were probably the the senior midwives of of the group of them. And Pharaoh comes to them and says, kill all the baby boys. Now, I've never been a midwife, but that strikes me as probably the worst thing you could say to a midwife. Somebody whose job, whose joy it is to bring life to the world is instructed to murder. But they don't. These women stand up to the king of Egypt. He finds out and he calls them into his office and he says, what have you done? And first of all, they lie to him and say, oh, you know, we never get there in time. And then they manage to work in a dig just to show how much more superior the Hebrew women are. Oh, they're so vigorous. They give birth. We don't even need to help them. If you're looking for heroes in the Bible, you couldn't do much worse than Shifra and Pua. These women are the means by which God's purpose prevails. Because of what they do, because of their bravery, this is what happens. Verse 20. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. For the third time, God's people multiplied, even in the face of genocide. In the previous two times, God worked kind of in the background, but this time he used these brave women to fulfill his purposes. Here's what we need to know. Whether we're vulnerable whether we are being actively oppressed, whether we are victims of genocide, whether there is pure evil being pointed in our direction, nothing can stop God's purposes in our lives. God's purposes will prevail. We're going to see this over and over again throughout the book of Exodus. We're going to see how God has plans and he is going to demonstrate his power in the face of every possible challenge to it. Over and over again, we'll see his purposes prevail. This morning, we've seen just the beginning of that. Let me just review and kind of recap the whole story we've seen. We started out with God's people in Israel, and what we're going to see is these three different challenges. The first challenge was that Joseph died. The people of God became vulnerable But, verse 7, the people of Israel were fruitful, and they increased greatly, and they multiplied. Then after that, they set taskmasters over them. Pharaoh said, I'm going to enslave them to stop them from multiplying. They were oppressed and enslaved. But, verse 12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. 
And then in the final attempt, Pharaoh says, if it is a son, you shall kill him. He aims for genocide. But still, verse 20, the people multiplied and grew strong. Nothing Pharaoh could do could stop God's purposes. Now for us, we need to understand what God's purposes are for us in our lives. And this has to do for us always with the person of Jesus Christ. We become who we are meant to be through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the way that God has opened up the door for us to become free from sin and fulfill that image of the overflowing, abundant, multiplying life that we were meant to experience. It's as if we are this hammer created to multiply life and sin stands in the way, but Jesus has removed the barrier so that we can finally be fulfilled. Now, we've seen in this first chapter three different obstacles overcome, but the chapter ends on a cliffhanger. Listen to verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The chapter ends in horror. This horrific command. Now Pharaoh doesn't trust the midwives to do it. He commands every Egyptian, whenever you see a little boy, drown him in the river. Think about the image that Pharaoh is after. Think about what would happen to the people living on the banks of the Nile as little boys, lifeless bodies float by. The Egyptians would know we're the powerful ones. Those Hebrews, they won't be a problem. And the Hebrews would know our lives are not our own. We are controlled by someone else. We may as well give it up. And so our chapter ends not knowing how this new challenge will be faced. It's worse than anything we've seen previous, and, and we, we hang there wanting to know what will happen. And I've got good news. It all turns out all right. If you haven't read the book, God's people win in the end. But we want to hang in that tension because that's the place we often live. And we want to try to find God in that. We started off by... Um, thinking about this hammer and, and how the hammer just really wants to be used. So, you know, I don't know if this has been driving you crazy, but there's this nail here. And don't we just really want to see this nail hit? Don't you just want to see this hammer being used? I'm still not going to do it. I mean, maybe it's a power trip or something. I want you to know that I have the power to prevent this hammer from fulfilling its purpose. I have that much power. But I want you to know that so that you know that none of us, that nothing, nobody, no thing in the world has the power to prevent God's people 
from fulfilling their purpose. Nothing can stand in the way. God's purpose in our lives will be fulfilled. This is a promise. We can see Christ lived out in our lives. We can experience that overflowing fruitfulness of life. When we get to the end of the book of Exodus, there's one more time you see the word multiply. And it's when God's people are building the tabernacle and it says that they brought more than enough to fill the temple. And it's that same word. They multiplied more than enough. They had so much wealth, so much resources that they couldn't bring it all to God. It overflowed into worship and it still was too much. We're going to continue now in worship as a community. I want to invite the band back up. And that's the picture that I want to invite you into. That we are so confident that we will overflow with life. So trusting in God as the source who, who makes us multiply, who makes us fruitful, that we know that so deeply that we just turn to him. And I want to invite you to think about maybe one obstacle that you're facing. Maybe you feel vulnerable. Maybe you feel oppressed. Maybe you feel like someone is actively standing in your way. And I want you to think about that obstacle as you worship and, and offer that to God. Offer it to him knowing that he will make sure his purposes are fulfilled. Maybe the thing you're hoping for isn't actually his purpose. So maybe you won't get there, but you will know that if it doesn't happen, it's not God's will. Why don't you stand, and I'm going to pray for us as we move into worship. Father, we are so grateful that we can trust you. We long to overflow with life, to experience it in ourselves, to, to see it in the people that we come in contact with, to be fruitful everywhere and to see the fruit of the Spirit growing and sprouting wherever we leave our fingerprints. But God, there's so many challenges, there's so many things that stand in the way, and so we need to know that your purposes will prevail. We need to know that because of Christ, because of his sacrifice and redemption and your work in our life, that we can live the way you meant us to live. Free us up for that. Encourage us with that. And we offer up to you all of our questions and doubts, trusting that your will will be done. In Jesus' name we pray.